Welcome to the Commons Cast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you find something meaningful in our teaching this week. Head to commons.church for more information. And welcome to what is, in lots of ways, the real start of our year together as a community. We actually started this parish more than, just a little more than eight months ago. But for us at Commons, our shared journey through the scriptures and through the Christian calendar actually starts in the fall, in September. And last week was our launch. Hope you had some ice cream on us, super tasty. Maybe you stole some, took it home, that's fine too. We are so thankful for the host of volunteers that helped us pull last week off, and then also week in, week out, the host of volunteers that help make church happen. In fact, even this week, a couple of guys in the back setting out chairs, it's amazing. It's part of what community is about, and so we're thankful for that, and we're thankful for each of you that contributes to that. And as I mentioned, I was up here just a second ago, if you're looking for ways to connect and to serve or maybe to get involved in some of the things that we're doing here in the city, the easiest way to do that is to go to our online portal, commons.life, where you'll see a ton of opportunities to get involved, including in our initiative related to refugee resettlement. Um, because our next sponsored family, the Al Albars, just arrived in Calgary this week. Actually, I think it was on Monday or Tuesday night. And we are going to be in need of a lot of people to help in lots of different ways as we try to get this family settled here in the city, help them adjust to all the challenges that they're facing. And we're going to have some more information to share about them and about our sort of connection with them in the coming weeks. Now, one of the other ways that you can get involved is financially. And this is something we don't tend to talk about a lot at Commons, and in fact, you may have noticed that we don't take up an offering here in our community, and this is because we never want generosity to be an uncomfortable or an uneasy experience. But that's not because we don't believe in generosity, we most certainly do. But we don't want, to be the pr- we don't want it to be a practice where we measure and we compare and we compete when it comes to our giving. And that said, we do exist on the sharing of community, And we don't receive government funding to do what we do here in the city. And we're also grateful for the many ways that you do support us here at Commons. And one of the ways that we're encouraging you to do that in this fall season as we start new things is those of you who haven't already considered to consider joining our automatic giving program. But what it does for us as a community is it helps us to understand the support level in our church and to budget effectively and to make sure that we're stewarding our resources that are shared across two parishes, stewarding them well. So if you're in a position to consider this as part of our invitation in this fall season, you can do so by using the donate button on commons.church. And once again, we're so thankful for the ways that you already contribute to our vitality and our growth as a church and in our desire to be a generous community in this city. Now, last week, we framed this new season together. Uh, This week, we're going to jump into the first series of our new journal project. And if you are new to Commons, maybe you're unfamiliar with our journal project, or maybe you didn't pick one up, you can get one for free at the Connection Center before you leave. The journal has lots of information about Commons. It has some information about who we are, what we do, and how we're trying to grow as a community. But also, at the center of it, it's an outline for our teaching for the next 12 months. So if you flip to page 41, I should have brought one with me here, you can see our current series. And if you turn the page, you can see a space there to write your notes if you'd like to do that. You can also collect these notes every Sunday throughout the year. And hopefully, if you journey with us over time, 
you can create a record of where you've been. And we trust that you will begin to understand where you're going along the way as well. And this is actually some of what we talked about last week. This idea that the church, when it's at its best, it was always meant to tell us the right story about God and a hopeful story about ourselves. And the truth is that when we do this work together in community, when we invite each other back again and again to the words and the tales of Jesus that shape our imagination, we do it with our hospitality and we do it in our shared curiosity. We do it in our work and in our service for others. And regardless of whether you've been around commons for years or maybe you've just encountered us, you are invited into this hearing and telling that we do. Which is why a lot of the time we use the language of being in a conversation. Because we really do believe that the questions we ask and the thinking we do and the lives that we offer, these mark a pathway for us to what's better. And it's better because we share it. Because along the journey, we may find that our strength finds purpose in the way that we're able to support someone else. And our weakness will often be comforted in the way that we are carried by each other. Now, as we talked about last week, this process of being a community calls us to speak well and to hear each other well. And I think here in Inglewood, this is a process that we are just getting started in. And my sense is that a lot of us who are here at Commons, we're here because this place is a place where we feel that our faith can grow in the ways that we think, maybe, in the ways that we see, and hopefully in the ways that we love. And so again, we want you to know, each and every one, that this journey you're on and the questions you have and your pursuit of the divine in your own life, this is a beautiful thing. And it's holy, and we're so glad that you have decided to share it with us. Now, it seems fitting, then, that we would launch our year together by spending three weeks considering the problem of prayer. How we speak to God, what it means to hear or to sense the divine, and how we wrestle with these ideas. And so as we dive in today, let's just take a moment and we're going to offer our questions as prayer. So join me now. Oh, gracious God, you are the sustaining presence in all things. You are beauty and light and force of being. You are parent, you are savior, you are spirit. And what is it that we can say? In these moments, we bring more than just our words. In our conversation and in our shared worship, in our requests and our thanksgiving, we confess that we are known. And being known gives us confidence today to bring our questions and our anxiety and all the patterns and ways that fear gets the better of us and leads us to withdraw. We confess these things now. And with open hands, we take up the sacrament of community brought to us in kindness and sincerity as we offer divine affection to each other, even over coffee. And we ask, would you teach us to love well, even when we feel limited and we feel stretched and unsure and weak? And I pray that you would guide us in our questioning to receive your welcome, even if we feel like we're far from home. 
Help us now to be aware of your great goodness, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, the problem of prayer. And today we're going to work through some how-tos and whether we get it right and going to the gym. And we're going to talk about our shared future. And as we get going, you may have noticed that we have front-loaded in our conversation about this series before now, how we're going to be looking at a specific prayer from the Gospels where Jesus more or less demoed prayer. But before we get to that, I think it's good for us to kind of just put prayer on the table for a second. Because even if we're super comfortable with this subject or we practice prayer without thinking, wait, am I just talking to myself? I, th I think most of us have likely questioned why prayer is such a big deal and why, if it is, why we feel we're so bad at it. Which is why I want to start with a little self-disclosure. See, I grew up in a house where different forms of prayer were modeled. We prayed at meals, and we prayed at church, and my dad seemed to pray on Saturday night when the Habs were on. And I'm grateful for the ways that prayer practices shaped me. But one of the assumptions that I have about prayer, I picked up actually from my mother, who with some regularity would sit my brother and I down and encourage us to be quiet and listen for what God might say. And I was young, I was impressionable, and my experience in a supportive home and in a church community, had, it set me up naturally to trust that if God was anything, God was kind. And that if God would speak, he would probably say nice things. So I tried, I really tried. I sat there and I listened to the sound of silence. And I remember clocks ticking, and I remember hearing my own breathing, which all sounds very spiritual, I know, until I tell you that I almost always could hear kids playing outside during these sessions. And I'd be thinking, oh, come on, does this really work? Because you know what? For all the times I sat in those quiet moments, I can't say I ever heard God. But the longer I live and I've had time to reflect on those experiences, the more I realize that the practice shaped me, even if the outcome wasn't what I imagined, which is what I want to begin by acknowledging today. How maybe for you too, prayer is a practice that you look at with mixed emotions. And if we are honest, there's lots of reasons for this. Maybe prayers just always felt weird because you wonder to yourself, what am I supposed to say? I mean, sometimes it feels like there's this fine line between being in a sacred moment and just talking to yourself. And maybe you catch yourself being sincere and, and really trying to externalize some thoughts, and then you hear your own voice, and it can make you feel self-conscious. Or maybe you've been around communities that script their prayers, or maybe they read their prayers from a book. And you just never connected with the rhythm of that. It felt stilted and awkward. And you, you just wanted to emote, to let words flow. But you held back. Or maybe you've been around communities that like to pray out loud together. And some of these communities like to hold hands. I don't know if that helps at work, but they do it anyways. Maybe you always felt like you didn't have the right words. The point is that sometimes our imagination of prayer is defined by the question, what are they doing where our practice is defined by others? Or maybe, maybe you have legit prayed. 
sincerely. You've opened your heart to the idea and the mystery of the divine and you asked for help or for relief or for change. Maybe in your own life or in someone else's life that you love and nothing happened. Where that divine silence, not unlike what I heard as a child, it has shaped your assumptions about what prayer is or what it most certainly is not. And these are things we need to name. We need to put them on the table before we start working through some verses today because we all carry some assumption, some conclusion that we've come to about prayer. And guess what? I wouldn't be an honest person or a sincere or thoughtful pastor if I told you that this series was going to address all of the questions that you have. That just isn't true. But here's what I will say. And it goes back to those quiet moments with my mother. The more I think about how there wasn't ever any voice, the more I realize that that silence I experienced hasn't shaped a harmful cynicism in me. Instead, I've come to realize that the gift in those times was their regularity. And my mother's tender insistence that we keep trying. And in the fact that what was being formed in me was a trust that God wants to speak. Which I don't offer as some bland response to the real questions that you have about why we should pray. Or more specifically, why you should listen to me talk about why we should pray. No, I, I only say things as an invitation to consider that maybe there's something more powerful in our attempts to pray than whether we get the answer we want. Or whether we feel we have the right words. Or whether or not we find a prayer practice that resonates with our deepest selves all of the time. Perhaps the power of prayer isn't in the what or in the how, but in the practice. Where we're honest with ourselves, finally, about how we feel. Or we finally verbalize the fear that we're carrying about a situation. Or we offer thanks and gratitude in the middle of a really chaotic or difficult day. Where divine truth and comfort come to us in the broken sentences and in the emotions that we have. And in the simple theology that we use to talk to God wherever and whenever that happens. Now, this brings us then to the prayer that Jesus taught his friends which I'm going to note for us here today. It comes to us in a story that's referenced in Luke's gospel. Jesus was teaching, and his disciples came to him, and they said, teach us to pray, just like John taught his disciples, which sounds a little bit like prayer envy, but whatever. More to the point. For this series, we're actually going to focus on Matthew's account of the same prayer that Jesus gave in that story. And Matthew's prayer has a few extra lines, and it's likely the one that we are familiar with if you've been around churches that use this prayer. And with that said, in Matthew, there's also some important context for why Jesus taught his friends the way that he did, which is why we see in Matthew chapter 6, which is part of the sermon that Jesus is giving on the side of a mountain, we read that he said this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And if you do, you'll have no reward for your, from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, to be honored by others. 
And Jesus goes on to say that when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites do who love to stand in public and pray so that other people could see them. He says, look, when you pray, go home, close the door, and pray privately. Keep it on the down low. Now, a couple of things about this. First, it's super important to notice that Jesus' teaching about prayer comes in the middle of him talking about the right ways to practice this word righteousness. And for the record, the Greek term that's translated righteousness here, it corresponded to the Hebrew ideas of prayer and fasting and giving to the poor. These were the ideas that went all the way back to the prophets of the Hebrew Bible who said things like this, for example. They said, is this not the kind of fasting that I have chosen? This is God speaking, to loose the chains of injustice and to set the oppressed free. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide a poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them. And this description of religious activity, righteousness, comes into sharp focus when the prophet then tells God's people that if they fast like this, then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. This is from the prophet in Isaiah. And by this, this ancient author is making it super clear that righteousness wasn't just a reference to a person's proper beliefs or to their pious actions. It referred to whether or not they lived justly and whether they did business fairly and whether they treated immigrants compassionately. Also, that God's vision for the world was closer to being real. So, when in a few verses, and for the rest of this series, we think about how Jesus taught us to pray, it's important to think about what kind of prayer this is that he taught us. It's one that confronts entitlement and structures of injustice and systems that exploit and demean people all around us, which, in effect is another way of saying that when we give our energy to these kinds of tasks, when we speak up for the marginalized person in our office, or we choose to be an ally for a group that's belittled, or we support and encourage those who have no voice for their own, we pray well. So, there's the righteousness piece. But then there's, always, there's also this language that Jesus used about being hypocrites. And this is in the beginning of Matthew 6. And this term, or the Greek term that's translated hypocrite here, it literally means actor. Someone who pretends. Someone who presents a version of themselves that isn't true. And I think there's something here for all of us when we think of practicing prayer. Because, yes, Jesus was concerned with the ways that some religious elites were using their avid spiritual practice to gain notoriety and respect in the community. If they were doing this today, they would have been posting photos of themselves praying in beautiful locations, hashtag prayer destinations, hashtag pray everywhere, with the caption, tag someone who needs prayer. Am I right? Like, that's what it would have looked like. And it bothered Jesus that they would perform this kind of religious activity to give people a certain impression of themselves. And Jesus says to his followers, you know what, don't do it that way. And why is that? It's not as if these kinds of pious giving or these kinds of public prayers wouldn't have had the potential to make a difference. The point Jesus is making doesn't have anything to do with whether these activities have value. 
His point is that these kinds of actions, these kinds of prayers, they actually hurt us because they don't come from a place of authenticity. It's so significant to me that Jesus teaches about prayer by encouraging us not to be eloquent or even formulaic, but to be honest. Which means that when we tell the truth about ourselves, or we ask for what we really need, or when we express our truest feelings, when we offer gratitude when it comes to us, we pray effectively regardless of the words that we're using. Which is one of the reasons you've probably found that your prayers, if offered at all, are clearest and most heartfelt and maybe even the most answered during the deepest crises of your life. When you can't pretend to be okay and when you can't hold it together and when you couldn't care less what people think about you. It's from places like this that maybe the spirit could be present to you over the next couple of weeks where you might catch yourself praying as Jesus taught, God forgive or God help with this temptation where you might come to know maybe that God doesn't want any word from you that isn't true. And God doesn't want any phrase from you that doesn't say everything that you're feeling, any thoughts that aren't tied to your deepest longing. Because when prayer becomes that, it isn't a practice where you pretend you're better than you are anymore. But instead, it's a habit of honest living. Now, maybe you find yourself asking then, wait, if, if Jesus wanted his friends to go pray in private, why is it that we've turned this prayer of his into something that we say together in unison publicly? And on top of that, it seems a little prescriptive. Why does prayer have to be so formulaic? Maybe it feels restrictive for you. And these are all good things to consider as we take some time to look at the prayer itself today. Because one of the things that we know about this prayer is that it was almost immediately incorporated into the practices of Jesus, his earliest friends and followers. And we see it appear in its entirety in this church document called the Didache, which is dated to the first two centuries of the Christian story, along with the instruction to, with this prayer, say it three times a day. Which shows us almost immediately that this prayer became part of community practice and also individual practice. And this helps us to see that the critique Jesus was making of certain kinds of prayer had less to do with whether you prayed in public space or not, and everything to do with the reasons for why we pray together. And in teaching his friends the prayer that he did, Jesus placed a key distinction at the heart of the Christian community. And this is the idea that we, or that what we believe and what we say in the world isn't the end game. What's really important is what we do and how we live. Which is why, and maybe an analogy is helpful here, the church would come to pray this way because, as author Aaron Nyquist contends, our gatherings should be far more like a gymnasium than a classroom. And I think what Nyquist means when he says this is that our shared life in community has to do more than just inform us. And it has to require more of us than just checking some intellectual boxes. It has to get us moving and practicing 
where our knowledge transfers to our hearts and to our bodies in the act of skillful living. Just like our attempts to get healthy and stay healthy at the gym in repetitive practices that stretch and strain and strengthen us. Which is why, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at this prayer. You're going to find that it may come to your mind and to your lips as you work, or you play, or you rest. And I want to encourage you to pick up the practice. Because I think you'll discover that using a formula, a set of predetermined words like this, it isn't as constricting as it sounds. Because it's just like the repetition of going to the gym and training our bodies. Sometimes that can feel like a life-sucking process. Anybody else resent the gym? Yeah, okay. In the process, we can feel like we actually have less freedom. But over time, we build strength and endurance and flexibility there that open us up to a world of new opportunities, maybe to climb higher and harder trails or to learn new physical specialized skill, or maybe in accomplishing a long-pursued health goal. And this isn't such a bad way to think about prayer, because yes, using it and saying it certainly does shape us as individuals over time. But I think its most significant contribution to our lives is how it shapes us together. I mean, have you ever thought about the fact that this entire prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is written and recited in the plural? It begins, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then it offers a series of petitions. It says, give us, and forgive us, and lead us. And yes, of course, it's totally fine if we pray this prayer for ourselves or we narrate it for ourselves. But here again, it's important to come back to this idea of righteousness and justice that we talked about a few minutes ago. Because there's something held in common when we pray as Jesus taught us how. Where the difficulty and the solitude and the uniqueness of our personal stories are caught up And it's not like we forget them or we lose them, but rather, in praying these words, we find that we are not alone. Because Jesus gave us a gift in his invitation toward a shared future. A future that we pray into when, with this prayer, we ask for what we need and we acknowledge the needs of those around us. And a future that we hope for when we use this prayer to ask for the courage to forgive. And it's a future that we strain toward when when we pray this way, we name the temptations that swirl around and engulf us all. Which is why, over the next few weeks, if you have always felt at a loss for words when you went to pray, I want to invite you to use these ones that we share. And if you're feeling like your prayers are always happening or being conducted in an echo chamber, I want you to imagine your voice joining with all of ours and begin to imagine that your requests are shared, probably by somebody who's sitting very close to you. Or maybe you've been asking and waiting in some area of your life for a while. And perhaps in praying together, 
you can find new courage to keep pressing on in that. Where in looking at the problem of prayer, we will encourage each other as we lean into the kind of world that God longs for all to live in. And we'll consider how to close the gap between heaven and earth, yes, how to let go of some things, how to say no to some others. So, in the next few days, may you acknowledge all the ways that prayer hasn't been easy, or the ways that you feel it lets you down sometimes. And in solidarity with us all, maybe you can choose to engage again, because there isn't a right way to do it. And may you have the courage then too to accept the prayers that come to your lips whenever they do and choose to offer them, trusting that there is so much beauty in choosing to offer honest words from where you are. And I hope too that you'll sense the invitation to pray along with us as a community to pick up this long accepted practice of speaking and working and seeking for a shared future found ultimately in God's best. In this moment then, I'm going to ask us to pray together, but as we will do for the next few weeks, I'm gonna invite you to pray with me as we close with the words that will be on the screen. We will pray as Jesus taught us how. So pray with me now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.